Good afternoon and Happy New Year. 2018 will be a hopefully great year for the health system. We appreciate uh, management and staff for joining us for another yes. fund Finance Committee meeting. Clerk, will you please call the roll? Trustee Thompson. Present. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Charland. Here. Trustee Lawrence. Trustee Sheikhlin. Here. Are we on Thank you very much. Uh, please note that Trustee Lawrence says uh, absent excused. Um, first on our list would be uh, our consent agenda, which consists of uh, minutes for October 5th. Um, sorry, November 2nd. Just reading the minutes. Uh, we'll get back into the groove. So if there are any corrections, any additions, and then I'll take a motion. I'll move that we accept the minutes. I'll second that. Excellent. Um, all in favor, aye. Any opposed? Aye. Motion carries. Mr. Chapman. Is Mr. Chapman here? No. Okay. Is presenting on his behalf? Is Luis here? Uh, I don't see him. I've let them know. I can, I uh, think, give a presentation on this. This is a pretty uh, straightforward. Do you want to go to contracts and we'll go back? Yeah, let's, let's do that. Okay. That would be good. Uh, with uh, trustees' uh, acquiescence, uh, we'll go to Action C, and uh, we'll take votes on these individually if that's okay. First up is a uh, contract with GE Healthcare for $835. Thousand dollars. Hello. I will be. Um, thank you, David. Um, this is actually a proposal for five separate amendments to existing GE agreements. They are all for service and maintenance of equipment that fall into primarily two categories: biomedical and imaging. Um, in summary, the proposals are before you because of the result of an audit that was carried out in preparation for CMS as well as Joint Commission surveys. We identified that there had been the additions of a number of pieces of equipment that had not been put on the roster for maintenance and that there had been some equipment that had been retired that needed to be removed. So we are essentially proposing in these um, amendments to true up the roster. In addition, the other main element is that we are proposing to standardize service levels. The need for this has arisen because we inherited some of these pre-existing service agreements from our recently affiliated partners at San Leandro and Alameda Hospital. Upon analysis, we learned that there were differences in the service levels that had been encumbered in those various contracts, and we wanted to right-size it, if you will. So as a result of that, we're proposing that as the second element. There is another third element that has arisen, and this was sub, uh, um, GE brought to our attention that as the result, I understand, of having us add a large number of pieces of equipment that hadn't gone on the rolls yet, they, GE, had begun providing necessary service that we required, and it wasn't included in invoices because it wasn't contemplated in the contract. So evidently there were back fees. So that is being rectified in this. Um, there was a very large amount that was initially identified by GE, but we negotiated it down to 170K, which is part of that 800,000 that was mentioned earlier. That is in a nutshell, what the proposals are before you. Um, in the interest of time, I don't want to just repeat everything, but if there are any questions, I'd be happy to address them. What did we negotiate the back fees down from? We negotiated them down from a proposed um, 1.4 to 170, so a very significant reduction. 
in this spans all five facilities. Yes, these are just a system wide. That's part of the true. Were there differences in the PMs and the preventive maintenance agreements, or were these just differences in what was included? My understanding is that primarily the differences upon analysis were that there, if you wish to call it service levels that you can ride, say bronze, silver, and gold, mm -hmm. some of the facilities were at one lower tier and others were at higher. Upon careful analysis, we determined that the best approach for us financially was to actually standardize at a somewhat lesser level and then to use additional funds we've made available to do what I will call a la carte purchases when necessary because that in the analysis was cheaper than simply having gold standard across the board. So, so did that affect response time for repairs? That I can't actually speak to. I'm sorry about that. Mr. Cox, did you have something to say? Uh, I was going to mention that even though there's a uh, <clears throat> increase in the total cost, management's representing that they've made uh, uh, expense reductions elsewhere in the budget, so there's no need to, there's no impact on the budget. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Do we actually know where those are? Uh, I don't know specifically, but it's been represented to me that we're going to operate within budget. I would, I would like to know, and maybe you can just bring it back at another time, the response times to see. I know sometimes in the gold level uh, PM contracts, the response times are, are greatly reduced. And I don't know if anybody's interested. Okay. So, so let, 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 me, let me just go ahead and, and add to what uh, Ira was saying. So, I mean, again, a large, large part, and I apologize for, for stepping in a couple minutes here late, but uh, this this uh, this agreement, this adjustment, is is really to capture a lot of you know it's a reconciliation of equipment across. So that that's you know that was a large portion of this. As far as going through that process, and you know the assessment was looking at ensuring that we had consistency and reducing that variation in, in service levels across the organization. And so what we wanted to do was looking at you know working closely. You know there was a lot of work that was done closely with the business owners, you know, the, the people that use the equipment on a regular basis, mm -hmm. to identify, hey, wait a minute, is this necessary? Is this what you guys are doing? Based on, again, multiple pieces of equipment, redundancy, other alternatives, things of that nature, where they said, well, based on industry best practices and, and all the requirements, the minimum requirements, uh, based on manufacturer recommendations, we can live with a silver level because we've got three of these. And oh. so they made an adjustment to say, I don't need to have in our response time in the platinum plan, this is costing me an arm and a leg, when I've got three other uh, units available that I can just go ahead and take this one out of service, put another one in to continue to provide care. Okay. So this was the reconciliation that was done across the entire system, looking at all the different sites, and like Ira said accurately, you know, we did have, you know, at, at, at San Leandro, we were at the silver plan, and we had the platinum plan, and was that because you know, a lot of it, and, and a lot of this work was related to the transition to the new tower, a whole bunch of brand new equipment purchased by GSA, trying to get us into the new facility. And so, again, with some of that negotiated at the time, or, you know, so we wanted to clean all that up, and that's what this has done. Does that help? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Okay. Yes, because you looked at, you know, response time. Absolutely. Of this analysis. And yeah. Yes. Okay. That was the driver. And, right. and not just the response times, but what was appropriate for the particular piece of equipment and what are the redundancies that we have in place. Right. Okay. Good. That answers the question. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have anything else to say? If not, uh, I take a motion to approve the GE healthcare contract. I move. I second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you very much. Traditions, behavior, health. I have one point. Um, page 17 says the contract is worth $42,814,000.
and yet the rest of the material says 41,763, so a million off somewhere. Yes. And um, that's for your second home. I was actually going to call that attention to that. Um, that is an error that unfortunately crept in as the result in part of a last-minute decision to actually reduce slightly the services provided. There was therefore a slight reduction. That is the 41 million, and the 42 million was that before that last-minute reduction. And unfortunately, it didn't get into all of our documents. Okay, so we believe the write-up, not the one-page snapshot. Cool. Correct. Okay, yes. Please so proceed. That. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, with regards to the contract before you for TBH, this is the proposal to renew our major behavioral health agreement for services. Um, and to summarize, essentially, we have um, services that are provided currently for inpatient at John George, of course. They also provide services at Highland and, I believe, Fairmont, as well as they provide services um, at our wellness clinics, as well as, I believe, SNFs. So with regards to the proposal before you, it is a renewal. However, we did not simply automatically go to the renewal status. We did actually solicit bids in the interest of obtaining the best possible deal for the health system, as well as our patients. Um, there were 11 respondents, or I'm sorry, there were 11 identified providers that we contacted, of which two responded, and of those two, TBH, the incumbent, was one, and they were determined to have by far the superior bid based on their capacity, both proven as well as stated in the bid response, as well as in the pricing, and they were also known quantity to us. So all of those were the totality that informed our decision that we would like to recommend board approval. Um, the agreement before you will be a three-year renewal um, for, I believe, uh, $31.76 million total dollars. Um, one of the important elements is that we were able to limit the increase in costs, even though there were some increases in services, to $300,000 per year, which is approximately a 2% increase, which is actually quite good relative to the normal increases we experience. Um, in addition, we were able to negotiate such that the second and third years of the three-year agreement will not have an escalator. Usually most groups hold out for that and we were able to negotiate it's going to be constant. So each of the three years will be the same. So budget neutral in that respect. With regards to the services being provided, there are two main buckets, if you will. There is what I would call the preponderance, which are carryovers from the existing current contract. Um, and then there are new services, as I indicated, that were being added. The write-up that you have before you, I believe, on the third page of it, actually breaks down those items that are being added, if you will. Um, there are also two other main categories to consider here. There are services that are going to be provided for the totality of the three-year term. They are permanent, if you will, over the course of the proposed agreement. There are also, however, services, primarily PES, that are proposed to be temporary. They will taper off over the course of the proposed agreement because of changes that will be had in the way we will staff. For PES, eventually, will be transitioned to in-house, if you will, and as that winds down for the um, TBH, it will be taken over by in-house. So there will be no diminution in service provision to our patients. It will just be transitioning from a contractor to in-house. The other elements are much less in scope and financial impact in there with regards to the current provision of interim chair and I believe medical director services. Once we have permanence for those, they will be bought in-house as well. And I think in a big nutshell, that is what is before you at this time. Are there questions that I can address? Our health system has activated a code triage internal. Code triage. Mm -hmm. Any comments on traditional behavior on what happened in John George? 
I was not involved in any specific mm -hmm. discussions in which they Has that issue been resolved? Do we know why that happened? I would defer to Dr. Jamaluddin. The eloping. The elopement. Oh, the elopement. When you say resolved, how did he get out of the facility? Who's responsible for why he escaped from the facility? So, do you want to speak to this? I mean, we did the root cause analysis, and we were planning to present this in the QPSC meeting with all the details. But if you like, you can. Right. I mean, I there's. I don't know if there is any. Was this is this an open session discussion or is it? I don't know. I need advice from our council. I think this is more of a closed session discussion. Does it impact our renewing their contract? No, this is not a contract with someone that it does. No, this is not a contract. Malperformance matter at home. Okay. So, so chair, I, I guess I, that gets the question I had just as a, as a rookie here. What is the process for analyzing performance? Of such contracts, um, and how they—I know that's not the precise. It's not the business of the finance committee. Probably look at performance, but where are we doing that in the system? We do what back and yeah. Do you want to? No, I'm sorry. It was a question to you, please. Well, I'll answer the best. I mean, we get retrospectives on our big contracts. Hopefully, annually come to this meeting, like Red Cross. We can ask for whatever we want. Obviously, when big contracts come up for renewal, that's really the time to be asking the deep diving questions. And of course, when a patient escapes, it's a good time to be asking the question, right? Is another committee looking? I mean, this is not, you know, the provision of medical supplies. This is very central to the mission and purpose of the Alameda Health System. So I'm just curious. To understand how um, you know the key performance indicators, that I'm sure, must be included in the contract, are reviewed on an ongoing basis by the, the, the QPSC. would do that. Yeah, yeah. Like so those chemical metrics and things that they all have so is brought and not reported at every, but you, um, I mean, through MEC and the other things, I'm sure that MEC and the others will be looking at right. behavioral health right. just as. So we, we look at the, in the QPSC, we present to the board the mm -hmm. quality metrics of the behavioral health and the safety metrics. And uh, we present on a quarterly basis as an SBU the metrics and the progress of those metrics, you know, including the average length of stay, the readmissions, the patient's experience, all the quality metrics that uh, are relevant to the performance of the physicians. In addition, uh, uh, you know, myself as chief medical officer and the chief of staff, we oversee the performance and the ongoing performance evaluations of the physicians on a regular basis. So this is a contract uh, for providers, and we oversee the performance of those providers. If there are issues that are raised immediately, we don't wait for you know the, the contract renewal. But in, in the contract renewal, we we look at the leadership and the structure in case we need to change. Now, just as related to this contract. Uh, what happened in 2016, we increased services in the PAS to include triage, and there was uh, some uh, you know, element of uh, physicians between the UAPD physicians, who are Alameda Health System employee, uh, who moved and 
start to work in TVH. So we are negotiating currently the UAPD contract, and that's why we say that those services might come back to Alameda Health System employee <coughs> physicians. Uh, the other uh, elements in the contracts is that uh, when we uh, uh, are looking at San Leandro and Alameda Hospital, they have had at times need for psychiatric services, and uh, there were some issues sometimes because of psychiatric services needs after hours. We want to honor those needs uh, for, for psychiatric services in the community hospital. Uh, so these are like uh, like two two elements. In addition, we are uh, moving the leadership and the Alameda Health Partners. So we've been trying to recruit a chair for uh, for psychiatry and the Alameda Health Partners. When this happens, this service is going to come out of this contract. So that's these are like the elements related. That's helpful. Just thank you for my follow up. Uh, I'd like to get a better understanding of uh, the evaluation. Uh, ranking, the criteria for ranking a contract like this. Uh, as I understand it, staff evaluated bids that came, and then there was there's a recommendation. So I don't want to open that up, uh, but I, I, I just want to understand. You can, it would um, be fun. It's <laughs> true. I, uh, I don't have a particular interest in that. I, I'm, co I'm comfortable with uh, uh, staff's process on this, but I want to understand um, past performance in particular, how do you uh, evaluate uh, that criterion? And when you have a new party, for example, uh, bidding on a contract, how do you evaluate, uh, I imagine through reference or some other process? But anyway, how do you get it? What's the criteria and how do you rank uh, bids? Um, there is a process when it's formalized in a technical request for proposal. Um, and we can sometimes use that even if it's not a technical RFP and we can apply it to what I'll call the bidding process, which is what happened in this instance. Um, we have um, templates, if you will, for evaluations. And they are weighted based on determinations that we have made as an organization as to what has the most important weight. General buckets, if you will, will include their um, experience in whatever the provision of services are. If there are incumbents, it is what has their track record been so far. <coughs> Finance usually comes in as in the cost of the bid, and the weighting for that, it can often be like 30, 25, 30, et cetera. It can be adjusted depending on critically those members of the evaluation team. So that is the document they use to evaluate each one of the bidders, and then once they have weighted it, that gives you a quantitative and objective, if you will, um, review, but it reflects the scoring that were actually critically done by the individual members of the evaluation team. So there is an intrinsic level of subjectivity to this process, even if you are operationalizing it in a quantitative fashion, which is always important to understand. We do try our best to be as objective as possible, but it is always ultimately a reflection of the um, objective and subjective views of the members of the evaluation panel. In this case, although I wasn't a member of that team, I would absolutely assume that that is exactly how they proceeded. And since there were only two bidders, they would have had two separate evaluations done, and then they would have compared, and they made their decision accordingly. In addition, yeah. just to clarify, for physicians, we have a process that reviews fair market value related to the services mm -hmm. that are provided. And it is an independent, neutral party that gives us fair market value, and then we scale. We use that as a benchmark for as a benchmark. And so, um, again, back to the board, I'm trying to put my process here. Um, 
would the quality committee see the um, the summary uh, of the ranking of uh, no we don't currently do that we don't see that that kind of contractual things we are at at the quality committee we are looking more at the clinical outcomes and the other metrics of you know performance that helps not okay. how they relate to the contractual terms as much as as they relate to patient <coughs> and safety. Yeah. And the RFP reviews, we don't see the Yeah, we are not correlating it to the uh, other aspects. Yes, uh, it, uh, the quality is ongoing. The quality review and assessment uh, uh, across the organization is an ongoing thing where obviously a, a contract renewal or contract initiation mm -hmm. is a, a episodic sort of thing. Uh, if it's a renewal, um, understanding the nature of the services in this case and, and the, prov uh, the pro providers, um, if you, if the quality committee and over the rest of the board has any sort of understanding uh, similar to what Trustee uh, Thompson uh, just did about a particular, say, stream of uh, poor performance or questionable performance, and we're coming forward with a contract to that same vendor, it would certainly be our proposal to say, why, why are we continuing with this relationship if we think that there are some concerns with that particular portion of the services uh, as, as um, suggested by any sort of quality performance that is also reflected in uh, board, and a separate board committee. Thank you. I think you that, that? that okay. exhausts my questions. With no other questions, I have a motion to move this. I move. I second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? <coughs> motion carries. We're going to change the agenda up a little bit and um, have items E and F presented, and then we'll uh, end the day with the uh, electronic health record project, if that's okay. okay so, Mr. Cox. And um, um, we can decide on uh, whether we want to go back and pick up uh, B, the uh, retrospective review at some point. Oh. I don't see Mr. Chapman. <coughs> oh, this is the Red Cross. I, I was, John is tied up managing hospital operations and the search, so I was happy to share the three slides that are there, but uh, if you'd like to continue, we can. It's, yeah, it, it's really straightforward and, and a good message, but I think we'd just like to say Well, that. we'll need one, so let's go. So, again, just to, just to kind of set the framework here as it relates to uh, this is a retrospective review, uh, to your point, Trustee uh, Chiquan, that, uh, that this is one of those uh, areas where we had an agreement in place for some time. Uh, and it, uh, since then, we have renewed this agreement, but this is a retrospective review of the performance of that and how did we achieve those estimated uh, uh, targeted savings within that. Uh, so uh, the American Red Cross, we're the sole provider of blood products for the entire East Bay. Uh, AHS, as a member of the Hospital Council of Northern California, they represent all the different facilities uh, and the East Bay section here. Uh, what they do is they collectively work on our behalf to negotiate the best contract possible for blood products across the entire region. Uh, they, uh, we had a contract, this particular contract that we were viewing had a term of January 1st, 2015 through December 31st, 2016, three-year contract. Uh, and it was blood service products for all of our sites, uh, Alameda Hospital, Highland, and San Leandro. Total amount, 1.8 million. Uh, and the fees were, again, broken down based on the different types of blood products that they would provide. Uh, in, that, in that agreement, there was an estimated overall price reduction of 8.7% or a savings equating to a savings of over $330,000 uh, for the life of the contract. 
This is a, an actual breakdown uh, by blood type, by location, and how we ended up uh, at, at the end of the agreement. Uh, we did not achieve the total uh, estimated target of $330,000, but we did save $221,000, seeing uh, certainly great utilization and reductions at all of our facilities, all of our sites. So 7% versus an 8%. Uh, and then, and uh, so the next slide here, uh, we, as I mentioned earlier, we continue, we did achieve uh, a large part of, of the savings that were estimated. Uh, we continue our work as an organization to, uh, through our utilization committees. We have a blood utilization committee at all of our sites, uh, which is comprised of providers, physicians, uh, high utilizers, mostly in surgery, uh, surgical procedures that uh, will help us look at, you know, all of our policies, procedures, protocols, and how we're managing uh, mass transfusions as a trauma center and also how we're dealing with uh, just typical uh, blood utilization. Uh, they, uh, hospital Council on our behalf of the entire region, we negotiated the contract uh, which was approved by this board uh, in April of 2017, taking us out through the end of March of 2019. In this particular contract, they were yet again able to uh, negotiate uh, a savings, a reduced rate. Uh, based on performance, and so we're estimating a savings of uh, about $44,000 um, in, in the life of this agreement here. So, again, good work. Uh, it's a great partnership, great collaboration with the hospital council and what they do on behalf of all the hospitals in the region. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is it. If you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer those. Any questions? Okay. Okay, we're going to move into the uh, <coughs> financial presentation. And you have too much in your package, October and November. I I talked about November. Happy to answer any questions about October if you want. This begins on uh, page 83 of your package. Um, essentially what's going on is we're seeing um, patient activity grow. Um, so in November, uh, it started increasing, reversing the trend from the prior few months. Uh, December is looking pretty good as well. Uh, what we saw is that uh, as a result, um, Operating revenues improved um, about 5.5% uh, below budget for the month. That's a little bit better than year-to-date. It is improving. Uh, but we're actually starting to pick up uh, some significant improvement in um, supplemental re revenue reimbursement because of some favorable development, which I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, at the same time, uh, <clears throat> operating expenses continue to increase or, uh, in this month uh, over budget by 2.4%. That includes about a million of uh, extra retrospective uh, salary adjustments because we, uh, we uh, gave raises back to July 1st. Those hadn't been booked for July, August, and September. It's about a million a month. So in uh, October, we started booking uh, the million increase, but then catching up a million. So we do October, November, December will be about two million. And then in January, it'll go down to a million a month going forward. So we're catching up, so it's a little overstated here. Uh, the end result is we had an operating margin of 0.2% uh, and an EBITDA margin of 1.8. Uh, that puts us significantly below budget year-to-date, about uh, $11.5 million behind budget uh, year-to-date. Are you um, concerned about that? <coughs> well, uh, we have some catching up to do. Is it catch upable? It, it is. Um, I'll talk about that. Why do I just kind of weave that into the dialogue as I go through in a bit more detail? Um, <clears throat> with this, we're providing you the um, metric report, uh, giving you um, performance on um, access, revenue, expenses, um, et cetera. Um, 
I'm not going to go through the detail here. I want to. I really want to uh, take my remarks and put them into the uh, individual areas. So, um, <clears throat> patient activity. We talked about the improvement. So, a couple things to point out. One is uh, here with acute <coughs> discharges. Actually, we're right on budget. That's a significant improvement. <clears throat> and of course, length of stay came down a little bit. But the average census improved to 270. Uh, year to date, we've averaged 268. That's still below last year of 275. Uh, the big news here is that um, clinic visits, ambulatory visits, really came up. So very close to budget, 1% below. That's a big improvement from uh, year to date activity. So we're starting to see some significant growth there. On the census, um, Really, the significant variance, which I'm, I'm sure Luis will talk about, is that um, San Leandro, the census, has been down. I think we're starting to see that kind of come back. Uh, and part of, it, part of that is um, ED visits have been down sort of across the system this year, down below prior year, and of course below budget. <clears throat> okay, but improved. So it's improved. I think we're expecting to see, um, or you will see, further improvement in December. Okay, so the impact on revenue is uh, patient revenue <coughs> has uh, started coming up, so gross charges have improved. In particular, uh, I want you to notice professional revenue. This is physician revenue. Over budget by 10 on the month, over budget by 7 year to date, and over prior year by 19. So that's a really nice improvement. You've got a lot of, a lot of things going on there. Uh, Dr. Jamaluddin's brought in uh, new physicians. Um, <clears throat> in general, they're you know really producing. Uh, we've had charge capture um, improvement. We've had coding improvement. Uh, we rebuilt the, re the revenue uh, system, the billing system. So a lot of improvements there. Uh, <clears throat> given the revenue we have, which is you know below budget, we're collecting about what we thought. So 20.7%. So we're sort of, sort of right on budget there and right on budget right there. Okay, so that's pretty good. <clears throat> and given that we had a rate increase, the fact that the ratio is better than last year, that's showing we're actually doing better. We're doing about 4 or 5% better on the revenue that we're getting. Now, the big improvement <coughs> is here on uh, supplementals, which are over budget by 16%, 4% uh, for the year. So what's happening here is on the waiver, <coughs> we have a very significant amount of money reserved to give back to the government on prior waivers because the government came in and said, <clears throat> we're not going to let allow you to, to count the um, excess costs, unreimbursement costs at your federally qualified health centers. Okay, we litigated that uh, along with four other uh, providers. Uh, we prevailed in the initial round. Now, we don't know if the government's going to come back and appeal that, but it looks like we've got a pretty good case. So <clears throat> we're starting to bring some of that income back in. So we release the reserves, bring it down. So I, we, we're expecting this performance to continue through the rest of the year. So when you ask, can we catch up, uh, in this area, we're going we're gonna to outperform. So we have an opportunity here to pick up, you know, more than the more than the uh, three percentage points on EBITDA. Yeah, yeah, we, we potentially could we we could potentially pick up I don't know about three but twenty twenty five million. 
Okay, so that's that's good. Uh, the other thing going on here is um, the um, we had a reserve on the uh, NC the cost funds. Uh, we expect to get those in January, February. We expect it to be more than we had originally estimated, so we're beginning to bring that in, and that's that's part of this uh, ongoing improvement. So I, I think that for the remainder of the year, we should be outperforming on revenue and closing <coughs> closing this gap. Okay. So that's on everything except the hospital operations and patient revenue. <coughs> well, I mean, this, this could improve as well. I mean, we're, we're, you know, and there's other activities going on here. Um, clinical documentation improvement, <coughs> authorization management, um, lots of activity in the core revenue cycle to um, uh, perhaps improve that. So we can start out performing as well. So moving to expenses. Um, so as I mentioned, uh, over budget for the month, uh, a million of that is this catch up. Um, and what we're seeing here is with the, you know, continued increase in the uh, headcount up to 4047. Yeah, it's just go business time. Do you want me to say questions till the end, or no, do you want no, me to keep interrupting you? I apologize. Uh, I, I like the dialogue myself, so go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Um, the San Francisco <coughs> Business Time says we have 4,935 employees in 2017. Um, okay, so they, these are... Where are they off balance sheet? These are... <coughs> these are... Um, Paid full-time equivalents, so we could have more employees. Mm -hmm. You know, people who don't work full-time. Okay. If you have two of those, where are and they, they getting that number? If you're not providing it, uh, they probably get it from HR, which is a simple headcount of how many people show up on your, or they can get it from uh, our uh, payroll reports, which you know get filed, and people can identify how many uh, individuals actually work for you. But if, if two people work half time, that's one on okay. this count. Okay. So it's very possible we have 4,900 actual employees. And you're going to discuss the balance sheet at some time, too, because we took a $100 million hit in October, and I would like to know why. Um, we'll, I guess we'll get there. I'll okay. That. I didn't um, the good news here is uh, registry has come way down. A lot of really good work there. So we expect that to continue through the year. And that, of course, partially uh, offsets um, the variance here. And... Um, Let's see. Uh, a lot of these areas are positive. I know that uh, Luis is probably going to go through a lot more detail in, in his area. Uh, but year to date, we're below budget by 0.7%. At this point, above prior year by 7.6. Okay. Other questions? No. Uh, these are the trends on total expenses and paid FTEs. And the balance sheet. Um, let me look at the balance sheet. <laughs> In October reimbursement receivables net was um, $111 million, but the previous month was $233 million, and it's still hovering around the $100 million mark. So I wonder what the difference in that okay, is. Okay, so we have, we have at this point in the year a lot of um, what are called IGTs, where we have to put up matching funds. What's that mean? Uh, it's kind of inter intergovernmental transfer program. Essentially, like if we were to get $50 million um, net reimbursement, we have to first write a check to the government for $100 million. I'm just picking these numbers. Uh, and then the, when the money comes back, and, and where we get this is we get the money from the county. The county writes a check. Now the attention to call grade is now clear. Now the attention to call grade is now clear. Uh, we would show that as a, either a, uh, we typically show as a payable. 
and then when the money comes in, we get the money, we write the check back, the payable goes away, and we're left with the net benefit of that. So you're going to see some big swings on the balance sheet. That's just sort of the nature of the business, it's, and that's the effect of these IGTs coming in and going back and forth. Okay. There, there are, not to go into much more detail than this program, there, there, are, there are multiple ways in which um, uh, the Medicaid program federally is a federal state uh, partnership, and there are multiple ways in which the state's version or the state's uh, uh, portion of that uh, those dollars are represented, and then the federal government brings in what is the match. So, so in some cases, you have a state uh, who the entire state will put up uh, the the state portion of the funding for the Medi-Cal program uh, or Medicaid program. In some states, they use local funds, and there are different ways in which you can represent those funds. Intergovernmental transfers are one, which say here are dollars that we're using for this purpose. The federal government matches them. You uh, adjudicate those dollars, and then you can use them to uh, pay for the services that you provide. In some cases, you can do through something called a CPE, a Certified Public Expenditure. So you've already expended the funds, your representatives are used for the purposes of Medicaid patients, and then the federal government says, well, here's our half of that, and they give it back to you. So, so this is just one way, and it is, as David mentioned, uh, cycles when uh, those um, transactions take place, and we basically have to put up the dollars, and then it's matched, it comes back to you. What's the offset for that $100 million when you go from 200 to 100? Does that 100 come into revenue? Now we, 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 we've typically, by that point, already booked it as revenue, <coughs> uh, so it'd be a receivable. Okay. So the other 50 would just release a receivable. And uh, in, in prior meetings, I know I brought in sort of what I call the uh, reserves worksheet, which shows you all the different programs. And um, you know, how much we're expecting to do. to the ER, we have a level two ETA is 15 minutes. Traveling to the ER, we have a level two ETA is 15 minutes. How much we do expect to receive or pay out, and we, and we have this by, you know, virtually the month when we expect this to occur. But we summarize, summarize it down. So there's, there's probably, uh, on the list, there's probably 25 different programs and 100 million this way, 100 million that way. But it's, it's useful to go through. I'd be happy to bring it in the next meeting and go through it with you. So you get an idea. The only other two things on this report I want to know a little more about is San Leandro, why it's off so much, what, what, how far off budget are we, and maybe a little more discussion on the accountability report. And then I'm done. So okay. Well, um, I, I had a question please. for Louise on the expense thing. Is this a... Absolutely. So, Louise, uh, I think when we were talking about the September financials, we had said that, you know, the pharmaceutical and the material and supplies things but some of the questions that we had at, as a committee was with the census going down and the average length of stay and things like that wasn't like that still seemed like higher than budgeted for for those months so uh, that, that seems to have stabilized a little bit like if you see october and november but it's still higher than that is there any uh, like you know, thoughts or um, tracking that you all are doing to like where the pharmaceuticals and the other supplies continue to be higher than budgeted for those months. Yes. So, we, we, specifically speaking to the uh, to the pharmaceuticals, one of the things that in, in our deep down uh, uh, review of, of the uh, expenditures themselves, one of the things that we noticed was. Uh, it's driven largely by their specialty drugs that we provide in, in um, our, our AIDS clinic. So we have a, uh, an AICA uh, immune clinic uh, uh, that 
we have seen a dramatic increase in, in our, our volume, which is something that we were, we've been working on, but we're starting to see that materialize. And so, again, these are extremely expensive drugs mm -hmm. that we're purchasing. And because of the increased volume that is above and beyond what we had planned or anticipated for the year, uh, is resulting in a higher expense. Uh, of those drugs. So that's the, the that's the primary and largest driver of the pharmaceutical expense. Do we get reimbursed through ADAP on any of that? David? Um, <clears throat> get reimbursed through ADAP on that. Um, I mean, everything goes into the cost report, so it's... I mean, ADAP's a federal program that reimburses people who can't afford HIV oh. medicine. Oh, yeah. I think that yeah. is what it We should drive that to some of them. It comes in an audit thing as well, right? So the AIDS, yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Does that so. answer your question? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just wondering, so that one high cost drug can can uh, skew the thing. Yes, all right, thank you. Trustee Chikwan? Yeah, maybe the thing trending on FTEs, I'm wondering if uh, make a distinction between uh, employees that uh, directly bring in revenue, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm making a value statement here, but there are some right. employees yeah. who, who can bill and others who can't. Yeah. And uh, so is there a way to, you know, there's some trending here, uh, much higher numbers, and that can be very, Positive for revenue, or mm -hmm. neutral revenue, or yeah. One of, one of my objectives is to uh, talk about employees who <coughs> generate revenue, or physicians, physicians who revenue. So right now they're mixed in. And one of my objectives is to pull them out, break them out, and report them separately. That'd be helpful. Which, which most organizations would do anyway. They've always been sort of commingled here. Do you have a sense uh, uh, at this point? So if you take, uh, there's probably uh, 250 employees above the. Benchmark number in the beginning of the fiscal year. Uh, well, let me, let me just say that we're, uh, would be we're, we're looking um, carefully at that issue of FT growth. Um, <clears throat> internally, we're bringing back uh, something called the FT Committee, which is a focused review of all the new requests coming forward. Um, at the same time, we've got a uh, we've completed a benchmarking. So you know, I don't want to talk about numbers, but we have identified where we think we have opportunities, and we're discussing ways to uh, bring that back into uh, um, alignment as part of the budget process that we're just kicking off right now. That's good to hear. I, I would like recommend that uh, you come back to the committee with uh, a follow-up report on that because this this issue is uh, with healthcare on revenue. Yeah. really affects what you see in finance committees, right? I, was, yeah. um, I think it would be fair to say, Trustee Chiquan, that uh, a considerable amount of meeting time last year was focused on the trustees and board time concern on our explosive growth, might be an exaggeration, but our considerable growth in support service and administration mm -hmm. in this health system. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the C-suite is well aware of our concerns on that, but we're trying to do some things in positioning the health system that uh, we approve the budget to go for. Yeah, and one of the things at that time was just a, a really uh, um, sharp sort of clarification of uh, when we did business units and the uh, operating entities and, and calling one of them support services uh, created the sense that that was all administrative and back office where uh, a, a one of the larger groups in that support services group were social workers. Uh, and so, um, and, and it seemed like growth when it was just a realignment of that group from a, one part of the organization to, to the other. So that made it seem more considerably higher than 
would have would have went back if we were just sort of following a normal. The national board would probably build. Uh, uh, not only just build, build that have billable services, but but also yeah. providing a, a clinical ancillary need that that even if it isn't billable is is uh, pertinent to part and parcel to the services that are billable. Definitely. Uh, that is true. Only having billable people may be providing a, a very in some cases costly uh, uh, FTE for a scope of service that uh, could be handled by someone else at a different licensure level. We have also expressed um, and requested mildly over the last four months of our off-budget performance when we might see a plan to reduce some of the expenses that we approved for this year. We have yet to see that, but we've also been explained why we've not seen that. So anyway, we're thank you very much for asking all the questions. That Thanks for I used to have a hairline with my I used to have a hairline over it. Some of the FTE growth is some of that uh, resulting from now bringing in people, so we're eliminating registry. Do you, do you have a sense of how many registry positions we eliminated by increasing the FTE side? Well, I, I think what you're referencing, uh, uh, Trustee Charlin, is the, the transition of outsourced services, not right. necessarily registry, but we were actually outsourcing, for example, some of the uh, you know, there were some IT components that were being outsourced that are now doing, being done in-house. There, there were some finance positions that were outsourced that were bringing in in-house. So again, they weren't captured in previous, you know, in, in your, when you're looking at a comparison from the previous year as far as an FDE count, well, they were captured, but it was captured under your expenses, under your other purchase services. Okay. And, so. you know, so now we're not, we're, seeing, we're not seeing that in the purchase services, but we're seeing it in the FDE count. So that's one of the drivers that you're referencing there. Okay. Now, the registry, you know, and again, one of the things that we, we can talk about registry is, you know, large, you know, by, you know, by far in part, you know, the registry is really tied one to one. So, you know, the registry and, and that, and with a renewed focus and over the last several months and the great work, and as we're seeing and evidenced by the numbers, you know, what we're looking at is, you know, we're tying that to if someone's out on a leave of absence or, you know, and, and these are only replaceable positions, a nurse. We need to have a nurse at the bedside. So if this nurse is out for an extended period of time, we're bringing a registry. And we have a direct correlation between those. Uh, on top of that is a vacancy of a nurse. So if we have different openings, we have and we can associate every single registered person we have tied directly to a requisition and an open position. Once that position is filled, the registry is gone. So that is, is manageable. We're and seeing and that, that was what I was referring Correct. to, kind of those FTEs that, that have now, those positions have been filled. Correct. And we no longer need registry to fill that position. Correct. So we're seeing one go down, the other one's going up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, and and there will always be ebb and flows there. I mean, it's always going to yeah. happen in the normal course of operations. Yeah. yeah so so yeah, as long as, you know, we're seeing some of that FTE growth go up, but it's resulting in a kind of a, a greater reduction Absolutely. in registry because, I don't know, you know, I can't specifically say, but typically the registry is costing us a little bit more than the FTE. In some cases. In some cases, yeah. <laughs> right. But one month is not a miracle make, correct? I mean, if December comes in and we're a million off plan, then I might believe it. But we're on plan for the year. We increase registry in our budget by 300% so that we are variances one off quite as badly as they were last year. And if you look at the forecast that's in this board book, we will be back up to $3 million a month registry for the next four years, correct? Uh, if you're talking about the EMR forecast, yeah, we did put it in there, but, okay, but internally, internally we recommend... It's a little early for the party. It, yeah. Internally, we combine those and we just say, you know, here's going to be the total cost. Assuming that this is a registry, then this, the, the rest is salary. So we could we could move... Registry. We could registry. We have the same cost in the forecast. Mm -hmm. okay. okay. Yeah, because we just provide that flexibility. Understood, yeah. yeah. 
Really, yeah, the forecast is really driven up. How many total FTEs do you think you're going to need? Mm -hmm. yeah, sorry. Okay. Please um, continue. Did I, uh, did I answer all the other questions or were there other things? Accountability reports the last time I was in San Leandro Hospital performance. Okay. Um, uh, so the accountability reports on page 98. While you're turning, to, I don't have it up on the screen here. Um, and my rec recollection on San Leandro is that they've been impacted by uh, lower uh, ED visits, which has resulted in lower admissions. I think that's now turning around somewhat. <coughs> Performance has improved, but clearly that's had a uh, an impact on the first four or five months of operations. How far off budget are we, though, since we don't have a budget number against? I, I don't know off the top of my head. I, I could look it up while we do other things. I could answer okay, just that I could. If we're 90% on budget, it's a big problem. If it's 4%, it's not a big problem. But since it's still a big negative number, I was just curious. Yeah. It's been running pretty negative for the last two, three months. Okay, so. I'll, I'll just, well, when we get to another issue, I'll pull it up and have that okay. answer for you by the end uh, Okay, so on page 98, this is the accountability report. What this does is it. Um, looks by um, uh, individual accountability by executive and with roll-ups. The trend in expenses, uh, the, co the current uh, year's total cost to budget, and then the same thing for FTEs. So if you want to know, um, you know, where things are increasing, uh, like for example in my area, uh, you know, I've had an increase in uh, something like 37 or, 37 or so FTEs, but my total expenses are actually down significantly. So we've, what we've done is we've simply replaced um, contracted services with internal FTEs and, and done that in a manner that reduced cost. So um, I'm happy to answer any questions you, you might have about this. Do, is it, do, the, do the managers use it? Use the report? <coughs> Um, it's it's a relatively high my two million dollars off plan. And yeah, I mean, we'll 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 use it at the. October, so. it, it, I don't think this gets wide distribution at the at the department manager level. It's a fairly recent report we put in place last year, as you might recall. Yeah, but, yeah. but it's it's useful. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll turn it over to uh, Mr. Fonseca. <laughs> I will, I will attempt not to be uh, too repetitive. I know that David was very comprehensive and all the great questions. I addressed a lot of the things that, uh, that I, I tried to uh, further break down in, in the uh, operations report. Uh, but I will certainly go through uh, the slides very quickly here. Uh, we've broken these down. This is really, set, the, the report is set out based on our, our structure of uh, strategic business units, uh, looking at every single one of them and their performance. Uh, just to reiterate the process very quickly, uh, you know, one of the things that we do uh, in, in collaboration with our finance team and all the operation leaders, we meet on a monthly basis to not only look at the volume statistics of how we're performing from a volumes perspective, and then we marry that and we look at that as it, how, how that translates to our financial performance. We have those meetings on a, on a monthly basis as soon as the financials are completed and the, uh, the, the projections are made, and so we then drill down and understand exactly what the drivers were for those. Uh, based on those drivers and based on those findings, uh, the team identifies and we develop some actions of what we're going to do and what steps are being taken to go ahead and address those variances. 
population health, uh, looking at our first strategic business unit, uh, there is no patient service revenue associated with this. Now we're looking at, uh, there are some supplementals that are allocated to this uh, business unit. Uh, that Some of this is, again, a lot of this is allocations based on uh, what's coming into the organization and how it's spread across all the different facilities, uh, all the different uh, business units. We're focusing mostly on the labor and expenses. Uh, labor is the biggest expense in this, in this uh, unit. They are, um, as you can see, over by uh, about $340,000, a portion of that, and as David mentioned, and we'll see this across all of the different slides, you know, this, this retroactive payment and catch-up for um, the merit increases that were awarded to the staff going back to July 1st has impacted and will be reflected in every single one of the areas. So I won't belabor that in, in every single slide, but I wanted to make sure we pointed it out for you all. Uh, so that's, that's the biggest trend. The other, the other drivers that are impacting the expenses here are related to staffing and overtime and management of that overtime. So there's some of it that has to do with coverage to the organization to ensure that we have that uh, the ability to continue to provide the, the, that care and that service from a care management perspective for the patient throughput across the seven days of the week. We've got some overtime that's been in place and they're working on filling some of those positions to go ahead and take care of that. We've also had some challenges with uh, uh, social workers. So again, not only our case managers, but our social workers, they all, you know, they're part of the care management team. Uh, they're working through that. They're working on trying to fill some vacancies. We've expanded services. We've expanded coverage and hours, but we're trying to fill some of those gaps. And so that's what's kind of driving some of these expenses for them. <coughs> Under provider delivery, I, I, really, this is a great story. And it just piggybacks on what David was saying earlier. Uh, our, our, that SBU and our Alameda Health Partners and the work that's happening under Dr. Jamaluddin's leadership uh, related to the physician recruitment and bringing in um, some of those services into the facility. Uh, the great work that's being done in finance and their profi billing and, and that work around the, the, the financials and the capture. Uh, what we're seeing here is essentially they, they've got uh, great patient service revenue for the, for the month and year to date, clearly outperforming what was projected. Um, as, as you understand, you know, the, 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 in this uh, SBU, we, we do project uh, a loss uh, as it relates to the operation itself. But what this really here indicates is that based on the great performance and the, and the revenue capture and what we're doing with the services being provided, we're actually minimizing that. So we're outperforming. In this case, we would have a contribution of negative 4.7 million, but it is 2.3 million better than what we had anticipated. Uh, and year to date, we're outperforming by 37%. Mm -hmm. So that means that the work that's being done, the recruitment, the physicians, the services being provided, uh, that's been uh, something that's really working. We're ramping that up. We're going to continue to see that great work. As you can see in one of the action items, effective early December, we transitioned away from a, uh, an outsourced agreement uh, with Bay Area Imaging Group, mm -hmm. uh, who was providing all the radiology services for our uh, San Leandro Alameda uh, facilities. Now that is part of AHP. So we've brought those services in-house and for the continuity of service and what we're doing from a medical staff perspective, I think this is great work. Uh, we're also working with uh, our team currently uh, to transition and also looking at our emergency services at both San Leandro and Alameda and we're looking at bringing those also under AHP. So that, that transition is working, we're, we're working through that. Uh, there's a lot of work that continues uh, in the development and the structure of the framework of AHP and as it relates to bylaws. Uh, policies, procedures, things of that nature, and then we're working again, continuing to uh, see how we could, uh, through uh, AHP and those bylaws, uh, have some flexibility to look at improving our recruitment efforts to bring in providers at part-time or different, uh, not just full-time providers. So again, great work in this area. Uh, Santos Vera, our executive director, uh, Dr. Pernia, and Dr. Maudin, great work happening here.
I like that you've Thank added you. the work RVUs on that too. So yeah, it'd be good to see that populated at some point in the future. Yes, sir. I've been, I've been working on that. <laughs> <laughs> We've got the numbers, so it's a matter of just connecting the dots so that it shows up on each part. Data, data governance. Uh, so, so when, when we have our our new electronic health record, it will make it a lot easier to get a lot of this information. So, yes, it's, it's, <laughs> yes I, I understand the challenges of work Thanks, um, Dr. Jamaluddin, for this work. This yeah. is yeah. very vital foundational work. Well, I, that I, I, I didn't done. see the results maybe until now in terms of specific, but uh, we're trying as much as possible to hold the people, the physicians, accountable mm -hmm. and uh, documentations. And right. Yeah. Just the question that you asked about this is we don't wait for the contract. These are ongoing yeah. issues in terms of staffing and performance. Mm -hmm. uh, moving on to ambulatory, as, as David mentioned, uh, that was a highlight of the month. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I know that Dr. Bavaria is not here uh, at the meeting, but uh, I want to certainly give her kudos. The amount of work that she has done in the last several months really reshaping the way we provide care at all of our clinics, doing some extremely heavy lifting. This is the first month in ambulatory when you're looking at that SBU that they have exceeded budget by uh, 0.8%. First time. Not, not just this fiscal year, first time. And this is huge. So this, I, I wanted to put a plug in for her because this is really a testament to the great work that she and her team are doing to try and drive uh, performance and make some changes. So as you can see, they've, they've taken some very aggressive steps to uh, manage the clinic cancellation policies. You know, they're standardizing all their templates. I mean, you know, we're going from hundreds of templates to hopefully few. And again, you know, as far as the no-show rate, which is something that we have chronically struggled with, they're working through that and they've got mechanisms and processes in place to try and manage that by calls and, and follow-ups and things of that nature. So anyways, great work. I generally have a rule of no kudos unless you suffer through finance committee, but in this case, I will allow you to extend our kudos to the <laughs> I will communicate that. Thank you, sir. So now shifting over. So this was volumes as far as our performance. This is how it relates to our financial performance. We're looking at our net patient service revenues. We're above budget uh, by 37.9% uh, year-to-date. We're still we're still got some work to do to catch up and get us back in line. From an expenses perspective, uh, again, they did great work. About half of the variance really essentially is associated to that retroactive payment. Everything else is, uh, uh, you know, again, they're still working on trying to manage some of the overtime and some of the registry that they have in some of those areas within the clinic. We're continuing our work with the next-gen rollout. We should be done by the end of February. Uh, so all of our clinics at that point, those that were identified and captured to transition into the next-gen uh, application will, will be live. Moving on to acute care, this is obviously our, by far our largest uh, business unit. Uh, tremendous amount of data here, but I, I, I'm sure I, I, I trust you all have had a chance to review this here closely. Uh, from a volumes perspective, uh, we continue to see, uh, you know, a decreasing performance up to uh, up through uh, November in San Leandro. Uh, we were at budget uh, as it relates to discharges in Alameda and Highland. Uh, daily census uh, was impacted in some areas, and I will provide some details in the future slides. Um, again, surgeries, uh, the key indicators we're looking at, discharges, census, uh, surgeries, and emergency visits. As uh, no, no, no change in the, as it relates to emergency visits, 
mostly driven by Alameda and San Leandro. The Highland was actually at budget with the emergency visits. Uh, as David mentioned, December is looking much better. January, well, you've heard the overhead paging, and we've been at surge level capacity red for the last yeah. probably six days. So very, very, very busy, a lot of very, very sick people. Um, so we're managing that, and we're trying to make sure that we ensure we provide the best care possible. Mm -hmm. um, as it relates to uh, uh, the financials, uh, our net patient service revenue, about 4.2% below budget. Uh, 3.5 year to date. Again, some work to do, and hopefully we'll be catching up with that as we're seeing increased volumes, greater volumes uh, within uh, our, our performance. You know, one of the things that we did introduce, uh, you know, our, our budget was pretty much flat across the year. We didn't really build seasonality or, you know, some of these things into the budget, so now we're starting to see some of that. So again, uh, you know, we're hoping that over the next several months we're going to see some, some catch up in how this all normalizes throughout the end of the year. So we're moving towards that. Uh, FDE uh, labor, uh, $30 million, $3.3 million over budget 12%. As I, you know, half of that again related to that uh, retrospective review. Uh, the other portion is again driven by efficiencies as it relates to trying to flex down two volumes in these particular areas, and we're working through that. So as you see there, we're looking at productivity standards that David mentioned. We're actively, we've, we've already gone through a tremendous exercise of reviewing what are the benchmarks that have been established and are across the industry as a, and how that compares to all of our different groups. We've already met with all the staff and we've built into our systems a productivity uh, module within our, our financial software that we, they're able to go in there and track and see how they're flexing towards the volume and how that compares to their units of service. So we've got a lot of work going on in that regard, and we're going to continue that effort. We've also implemented um, staffing adjustments in some of our units where, based on volume, and we, we identified that we were seeing extremely low volume, so we've adjusted staffing, so there, it makes it a lot easier instead of trying to try and flex people down. We're just looking at our staffing model to make sure that it's easier to run up than it is to run it down. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we're also looking at our ratios, uh, where there's a lot of work, you know, we're working with uh, our labor partners and looking at our ratios uh, where appropriate that we can make those adjustments to go ahead and drive efficiencies. This is a, just a quick slide, a snapshot. I think a uh, picture says uh, a lot. Highland here, which is the largest, uh, but it's a great trend, uh, and it's consistent with the work that we've been talking about and over many months that there were some concerns regarding the registry usage. This is here a testament of what we've done, and I've mentioned already what we're doing and how we've got very strict controls to manage that uh, at the CAO level. Behavioral health, this is what we have, uh, we've had challenge. Uh, if you recall, we had a Joint Commission survey several months ago. As a result of that Joint Commission survey, we had uh, some findings that were associated with ligature risk risks to the organization. This is not something that's unique to John George. Obviously, John George has been around since decades. Uh, and uh, so this is something that has been a, a key focus area for the Joint Commission, for regulatory bodies. And. Uh, and uh, so, you know, what they're looking at here is, is um, you know, every, every organization has been impacted by this. As a result of that, uh, and some of those findings, we have to put together an action plan that uh, addressed some of those deficiencies, most of which were requiring us to provide one-to-one -one care to the patients uh, based on, on, on those ligature risks that were in place. Right. This has a complete trickle effect, not just in the performance and the volumes and the financials, but also in the patient experience. Yeah. You know, right now when you know, you're having to escort a patient to the restroom because there's a ligature risk that's still being mitigated. That's not a great satisfier for a patient. 
At least I don't like people standing there when I go to the restroom. So again, these are just some of the challenges that we're facing and we're seeing that across the board. Our volumes are down, again, mostly due to that issue. We, because we're having to do many one-to-ones, staffing becomes a concern, safety of the patients becomes a concern, and also then we have to manage that and it's impacted our, our ability to care. As you can see, our daily census has their average 61.3, when typically and historically we see it at 68 with a capacity of 69. It's always at 100% occupancy for the most part. We, because of this, we've had to manage that, uh, that effort. Again, the PES visits also down. Uh, but they, again, this is one of those areas where this is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, the, the fact that we're seeing lower visits in the PES and the psychiatric emergency service means that a lot of the interventions that are being done in collaboration with the county and a lot of the uh, greater and broader efforts we're starting to see those take effect, and so we're seeing in our And you believe that's a cause? That is one of the, certainly one of them, for sure. And we're going to continue to see that. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, looking at it from a financials perspective, again, tra you know, tracking uh, our, our lower volumes, we're, we're certainly uh, uh, having a difficulty meeting our targets as it relates to our, our patient service revenue, so supplemental revenues, and then our expenses are slightly higher. Again, largely driven by the fact that we're having increased staffing because of all these one-to-ones. I mean, we're averaging approximately 12 to 15 one-to-one -one coverage every single day. And that's 24 hours a day. That's very, very challenging, very difficult to manage. Post-acute, uh, we have here, uh, we're, we're seeing uh, great, great performance. Uh, their average daily census, 297, year-to-date 294. It's pretty much right on target, right on budget. Uh, I will give you a heads up and I will say that uh, in December we did have some challenges uh, and, and early um, January due to a flu outbreak and so that really restricted our ability to admit to those facilities based on the CDPH requirements. You have to have a four-day hold until the last symptoms are shown, all those different things. So <clears throat> FYI that we, we will probably see an impact. Now we are ramping up and they've been working very, very diligently over the last several days trying to make sure that we can get back to target there. Another aspect that drove the volumes here was related to some, we had some coverage, physician coverage challenges in our acute rehab facility and so that had an impact on our ability to fill up to, to capacity and up to census, but since then those have been uh, captured and again another positive or, or a positive on this regard is the fact that over the last maybe two and a half weeks we have seen and we've increased our volumes and our census in our acute rehab higher than what we had even anticipated or budgeted, so we're, we're doing really well there. So again, this is the financials for post-acute. Um, we're, we're continuing to uh, monitor our overtime. As you can see, the, the, the variance in, in labor, really pretty much tracking and largely driven solely by the, by the uh, merit increase uh, retro, uh, retro payment there. So uh, they're continuing to monitor. The, Richard Espinoza does a phenomenal job in our post-acute managing their, their, their OT, managing their labor expenses. We're continuing to work with labor relations to uh, make adjustments in our in our coverage, looking at our ratios and how we can drive efficiencies based on the geographical location of all of our uh, skilled nursing units in, in the B building in Fairmont. Uh, and then they're continuing to uh, do some, some education in some of the areas. This has resulted in some additional resources and staff. Uh, there were uh, um, requirements of participation that were, that were put out in phase one and phase two, which all have taken effect January. There's a tremendous amount of training that goes into those regulations, and so they've been working with our teams to do that. 
in system support services, uh, just uh, for, for the purposes of discussion, this is really uh, all-encompassing of all areas such as IT, finance, facilities, engineering, food services. I mean, all these, that's what's considered support services. So it's a very large group. Uh, and so we're here, we're seeing that uh, there are no net service, or service revenues. Our expenses are above budget by 43%. Mm -hmm. I want to say that we have some significant opportunities specifically, and we're looking at it very closely in our environmental services department. Uh, we're managing that, and Baljeet, uh, uh, our vice president of support services, is working with those teams to look at how we can bring that back in line with the operation. In communications, we've got some challenges with filling some vacancies. Equally, in revenue cycle, we're working to um, re recruit the, ne the necessary staff to reduce the, the registry usage over time uh, being managed. And, and then again, this action Y and the benchmark, it doesn't, this is not an application just for nursing units. This is an application across the board. So we're challenging every single one of our leaders and directors to make sure that we're looking at what are those best practices, what are other organizations doing, how do we align with that, and what steps are we going to take to get us closer to that or exceed that. That's it. Do I, uh, may I answer any questions? Any questions? Mm -hmm. No. I have to say it's an amazing report. Yeah, um, excellent. David is my compadre in finance, but when I read his report, you know, oh my God, how are we going to solve things? And then I read your report, well, someone's caring about them and actually doing something about them. So I know it, it, it's a big um, black hole in terms of time commitment, but it's it's a great report. This and is I just, yeah, that's really well worth the time. That's what we do. And, and hopefully we'll make up for um, I promised Vanessa that we'd get out of here at 5.30 so that she can I catch a plane. Uh, and happy birthday mm -hmm. to her husband. Thanks for coming. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to here. Uh, so we're going to discuss the... Uh, Mr. Chairman, can I close the loop on saying that? Oh, please, yes. Uh, so the patient activity and revenues are about 16% below budget year to date. Okay. Expenses are on budget, so we're um, about $6 million behind plan. Okay, so it's um, input, not expense. Revenue, not expense. Yes, okay. it's revenue, not expense. Right. Okay, um, I think we, we've discussed the healthcare um, electronic health record uh, for a long time, and I know this report is kind of all-encompassing. We know where, why we need it. Uh, we kind of know how we're going to operationalize it. So I think with the trustees' indulgence um, and in terms of time, we can ask Mr. Finley to go through this entire presentation. Happy to do that. Or I think I'd like to throw it open to questions, if that's okay. Yes. Specific. And um, Trustee Banerjee, if you want to start, um, or as we can go along. Is that okay with you, Mr. Yes. Finley? Uh, one, one area of clarification, and uh, I will... I will partner with uh, David on this. Uh, we just had one edit that we wanted to make to the recommendation. Um, okay. Can I also start? With, can, uh, let's take a motion to um, yeah, sure. vote on this and then we'll open up for discussion. So I'm entertaining a motion to move for approval. I so move. I second. Thank you very much. Please. Thank you. Uh, so as you said, uh, um, Trustee Tom Thompson, thank you so much for setting this up. Uh, we have gone through, you know, obviously uh, several months of uh, parallel discussions and negotiations and uh, pre-implementation activities as well as uh, board uh, um, education around the the why, the what of the uh, overall uh, EHR and what it will do and what it includes. And now, uh, at the end of November, the, the the how in terms of the cost and the uh, 
and, and, and then how we would actually, or how a plan that we have devised that we think is a reasonable plan uh, uh, with assumptions to, to afford this. Um, we only had, so, so as you reflected, uh, the, the contract or the, uh, the roll-up report uh, today was really to do that. There's nothing substantively uh, different than what we presented the last time. We just uh, amended or uh, sort of buttoned it up with this uh, recommendation slide that you see before you here. And that slide is uh, as we'd like to reflect it and hopefully uh, have you uh, uh, adopt it or advance it uh, for further consideration. Uh, the one edit we'd like to make here is on the facility side. So uh, we are bringing forth the request for the space as we mentioned in our budget for the EHR team uh, to work in a co-located space with our EPIC contractors and other partners who will help us to implement this. Uh, that, leases, uh, that lease negotiation is uh, well underway. Uh, we expect that it will come in February with the expectation that it will be executed, I think, in April. Yes. I can't read and listen to you. I apologize. Was this for space in Hayward? Uh, yes, this is at the... Um, San Leandro. Oh, sorry, San Leandro. It was the same place. I mean, it's at, in in Creekside. Yeah. It's, it's Creekside. Oh, yes. At Creekside. Um, Class A space across from the bar. It is. Oh my gosh. Okay. That, that's lovely. <laughs> um, well, it is the space that we could find that would accommodate the project. We tried. We tried otherwise to get other space, and it did not. It did not materialize, unfortunately. Um, but. Uh, That's good. Uh, so that's city. Uh, oh, actually, we, we, we made us an event on here um, uh, that I, I, I have to make sure it'll, it'll uh, work too because I think it works in year one. What I want to say is the budget that we put forth actually uh, um, will more than accommodate, we believe, the costs related to rent that we'll need over the life of the project. Um, that the lease that we're going to bring forward in February will be for the space that will accommodate the team. We will have a continuing need uh, downstream to figure out where we want to do the bulk of the training when we get ready for go live. We are trying to avoid a situation where we uh, uh, lease a, a, a huge amount of space uh, that we really only need for like a six month to eight month period. We need training space beyond that, but not that magnitude of training space. Uh, so we're still exploring that. Uh, we have money in the budget that will allow us to do that. So we are, what I'm wanting to do uh, with the motion today is uh, make a slight effort to say that management expects to bring the request for approval for facilities lease um, that would be consistent with the budget. So it won't be not to exceed 1.25 annually because it may actually end the year that we do the training exceed the 1.25 or as escalators go with the lease slightly exceed the 1.25 in the five-year lease as well. So it'll be consistent with the budget. The budget just straight lines the 1.25 whereas there may be years where that amount is 1.3 and then 600 or more. And what would the total number of bodies be in that facility? The total number of bodies I think is in the 80s or 90s. Or so internally we will have a total of 84 people working in the project but at any given time we'll have about 20 to 25 people from EPIC and physicians and nurses um, occupying that space. There's a total space of about 125 cubicles and about 16 to 20 offices and, and plenty of collaboration. 20,000 square feet? 24,000 uh, 20, 24, square feet. Okay. okay. Uh, and then all I want to say uh, is uh, actually uh, pursuant to our discussions at the end of uh, 
uh, November meeting, there's, as you all know, uh, been a uh, concerted amount of effort to uh, do outreach to um, uh, individual board offices as, as well as the uh, county partners to follow up on this in anticipation of a joint meeting that we'll do at the end of uh, uh, this month prior to the full board meeting, I think two days before that is when we were able to schedule it uh, to uh, get uh, county board uh, action on the, um, the uh, what is it called, the capital reserve, um, the strategic uh, capital reserve. So uh, with that, I'm happy to answer any questions uh, uh, you may have, uh, and I appreciate your support. Well, I guess the question I, ha I have, and it's just as related to the physical space, how are people going to be transported back and forth? Because you're going to have to have a number of people going down there who are the subject matter experts and, and business analysts. And so that they will go down, you know, that the employees will go from here to there, or how is that going to work? So for the original, uh, for the first couple of months of the uh, project, it's the spaces for the, the staff who are going to be working there, so they will, that will be their primary work locale. When we get to subject matter experts, uh, the, the way... I envision this working, which is similar to, to where I've done this in Los Angeles, is that you try to coordinate the schedule of when people are there so that they are able to use their time most effectively. So if someone is an SME who is spending four hours or eight hours a week on the project, then you want to condense that into one day or two days, not, you know, uh, two hours every day so that they're having to, because there's commute time involved in that, right. and then that's backfield if there are people who are doing clinical or direct line work. So, so it'll be subject to kind of the in unique circumstances, but we're not in, in the in the context of, and correct me if I'm missing any of this, but I'd imagine in the context of actually the design and build effort, we're not trying to arrange any sort of uh, um, commuting mechanism because people will be coming from multiple locations. Uh, that'll be incumbent on the individual uh, uh, with support from the organization to say that this is where we're going to be for that part of the day and to optimize the, the use of their time and reduce their commute hours. Um, when we get to training, however, where there is a vast amount of people schlepping back and forth, uh, that will be a time period where we'll, we'll have to coordinate that and it will make sense to do that in sort of a mass way because we'll have you know, lots of people going back and forth for uh, easily identifiable scheduled time frames where they're doing a one hour or two hour training and having to do that multiple times a day. So that, that part will do, but uh, for the SME uh, piece, it'll be very individual and they may be coming, maybe four or five people from five different locations, so they'll have to do it no differently than if they were going to a meeting at a different site today. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that towards the end of the cycle of development for training, to the extent that we can convert some of that space for group training, then we'll have to accommodate some sort of shuttle, probably, to, yeah. to use that space for But that'll be right at the end. Like right at the end before. Right. 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 And it's not entirely clear that the bulk of the training will be at that particular right. location. Right. Uh, we are obviously uh, looking at trying to avoid training uh, facility costs or minimize them as much as possible. So if we can uh, um, identify spaces that we can commandeer for a significant period of time that are in spaces that we already occupy, then we'll do that. But if it is a combination, or if it makes sense, sort of strategically, operationally, cost-wise to collect them all, and they may be a different locale, then that gives us an opportunity to do that differently, too. Okay. Any other questions? The um, 
61 consultants that we reduced in our um, redo of this TCO comparison. Were those replaced by FTEs or? Um, they have not been one-to-one -one relationship in terms of replacement. We are going to um, rely on the 84-person team and EPIC to drive the project in a way that we don't need that much uh, consulting engagement. Some of those uh, initial figures have been placed in there by groups of consultants. So in follow-up to looking at the performance that we've seen in other institutions, we think we can do it without that number of consultants, relying more on our internal staff. So all of the staff working on this will be locally okay. uh, in that facility plus EPIC. We can do all of that without uh, that many consulting um, resources. Okay. Um, we have some financing costs built into this, and what are we financing? We have like $1.4 million in financing cost. Uh, page four of the contract summary. Yeah. And, and an interest rate at 3.55%. It's the, um, uh, at least $600,000. Good evening. This is the financing of the license fee and the EPIC implementation services. We have a $200 million project and we're financing a million dollars of it. Why? Instead of, I'm just curious. No, the financing fee um, is applicable in, to the EPIC cost only because in order for us to um, spread out the cost, we asked the vendor to provide us with the financing plan. And that did come back and provided us with the financing plan for the licensing fee and the implementation services. I believe, and again, I'm talking off the top of my head, the implementation services are $17 million. And you know, we're talking about paying up front for the period of two years, but we asked to, we asked the vendor to spread it out. We initiated discussions. We had a still dialogue about you, what can you do to help us to extend the uh, payments out <clears throat> to, so we can manage our cash flow. They came back and made this offer and we accepted it because it was a good faith effort. It was a great reasonable, reasonable cost of capital. Okay. So it turned it's out just, being a much it's smaller... It's like cash for a house and financing the sofa, it just seemed to me. So I know. It's, 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 it's weird. Well, but I mean, over the first, if you look at how much is being spent, we spent 100 million over the first two or three years, 17 million. I mean, you know, it was a nice thing they did. We accepted until we put it in. It's the least they could do, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> normally, we, um, we we approve, we recommend contracts to the board, and um, I understand that we're recommending this project. Are we also recommending a specific 83, 81 million dollar contract? And we're also recommending that it will come back to this committee for approval of uh, a recommendation to the board, the leasing contract. Is that true? So are we we're kind of we're recommending uh, the project itself, which okay. is uh, 200 million. Yeah, over okay. 10 years. We're recommending the specific contract that we want to sign with Epic. Yeah. And we, uh, within the project, we're telling you that there's going to be a lease coming <coughs> next month. Okay, so, so we're only recommending two things. Two things, yeah. Because yeah. the, the project itself includes, we still have time to vote it includes the lease cost 
We're going to bring you that document next month. I'm getting a tent somewhere. Okay, we have a motion to approve the $200 million um, EHR over 10 years and the specific contract with EPIC for $81 million. That's contracts with EPIC. Correct. We have a license agreement. Yeah, those contracts is bottom line on page 5. Um, we have a motion on the floor. All those in favor, say aye. 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 Any opposed? Hearing none, it carries. Um, the last thing to discuss is our tracking report, and I think today we don't have any specific issues, correct? I think we're good. Okay. Any discussions from trustees before we go? No. Mr. DeVecchio. No. Thank you very much. Again, happy new year. Thank you very much. Oh, please. We need a public comment. Oh, oh yes. I, well, now you don't have it. Any public comments? Maybe Kurt lets me know. Um, let it be noted that uh, on the biggest expenditure in this health system's 70-year history, we are adjourning three minutes early. <laughs> <laughs> Kudos. Kudos.